Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about transphobes writing books with my friend Vienno. Hmm. <laughs> How are you, Vienno? <laughs> I'm actually all right. Um... <laughs> Ramadan Mubarak, everybody. First day fasting is the day that we're recording, so this is... I woke up late, and I have not eaten anything since last night. So, uh, if I'm more incomprehensible than usual, this would be why. Otherwise, pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I've done pretty much nothing today. I had uh, the car go in for repairs and all that fun stuff, so... Might have to get rid of my car. It's on its last legs. Hmm. And uh, I don't mind it. Uh, the <laughs> Rachel, my wife, was complaining that it, it holds nostalgic value because that was the car we brought our kids home in, you know? <laughs> Aw, you could just, like, dismantle it out front of your house. Dismantle it? <laughs> yeah. Make it a monument. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think our landlord <laughs> would want that to happen, but, I mean, I guess we could. Why not? Uh... <laughs> I guess before we get into the show this week, uh, it is worth noting that uh, three of the Rebel employees got arrested this past weekend. Two of them were released right away. I I haven't looked into it, but uh, as it stands today, I'm not sure of the status of David Menzies. (laughs) But uh, I think David Menzies is in more trouble than the others. Uh, David Menzies pushed a police officer and was then arrested because of it in Montreal. And Kian's not even... So Kian uh, released a statement yesterday stating that he's leaving the Rebel as a full-time employee. He's now an independent journalist and he'll be occasionally working with the Rebel, but only as like a contracted out person rather than a employee of Rebel or whatever it is. (laughs) But uh, so I guess he was arrested as an independent, but either way. David, uh, David, Ezra, and Kian were all arrested at some point. And then the police searched their uh, apartments and a private boat they rented? Private boat? They rented a boat. In Montreal? It was at the Old Port. And uh, the Old Port is unionized by PSAC, so I know some of the people who work there from uh, working with the union. <laughs> but that's where they were arrested. And uh, I, I don't have much to say. I guess we'll just... I thought, like, we would have to say something. I mean, David Menzies got arrested. How uh, how typical. But I, I figured a lot of people would be like, you have to talk about that now. But I, it literally just happened over the weekend, and they have not mentioned it on the show yet for us to cover. So I'm sure it's going to be something we're talking about next episode. <laughs> so I also want to say there's two other things that I want to touch on quickly because they happened in the big news. Uh, I want to just give support to all the activists in the street right now after the uh, really, really terrible shooting of Dante Wright. It it does look like the police officer thought they had a taser, but you would think that 29 years on the force, you probably should know the difference between a gun and a taser. That, and they pulled him over for him having an expired license plate tag. And that's probably not the kind of thing that would require a uh, excessive force or an increase of force once it reaches that stage. So uh, he died needlessly, and uh, just on cue, people are back in the streets again. And solidarity with all of those uh, supporting the Black Lives Matter movement right now. Again, it just happened this weekend, so the Rebel doesn't cover it on the show. But... uh, Some of these things are going to be relevant for some of the things that get said in this show. So I figured I would frame this up front and we're going to we're going to use this as sort of like staging to see what Rebel does with it next week. Because if they're saying some of the shit they're saying in this episode, you're going to wonder what their views are going to be come next week. And lastly, I wanted to mention that uh, we we just surpassed America in cases per day uh, for COVID. Oh, Canada. (laughs) I don't know any of the rest of the words. <laughs> the next line is like the worst, because isn't it our, our home on native land or some shit like that? Yeah, probably. God. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate that song. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, so uh, stay safe out there. Uh, there's a lot of denial going around and a lot of fear mongering about the vaccines. 
And we covered the AstraZeneca blood clot thing last week. It turns out it's possible the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is undergoing the a similar happening. Rare blood clots are occurring in younger people, particularly women. And so they're being precautious and uh, trying, to, trying to figure stuff out. That being said, it seems like the mRNA vaccines are the safer vaccines for everyone. So <laughs> for all these people worrying about gene therapy and all this bullshit, which again, it's not gene therapy. Go get your vaccines, please. Let's uh, let's hope that we can stop this thing before it gets too out of hand in Canada and we have to see more people die. So I want to say this isn't over yet. Please wear a mask. Please distance. Stay home. In Ontario, we have a month-long lockdown so just relax as best as you can i know it's stressful hell i've been stuck in my house with my kids for over a year <laughs> i get it but let's do this all right yeah <laughs> and now the imperial roundup hello my rebels hello my rebels i'm a good boy I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel. From April 5th to April 9th, another pastor has an interaction with the police where he proceeds to call them Gestapo communist Nazi fascists. Do not come back, you Nazi psychopaths. Unbelievable, sick, evil people. Intimidating people in a church during the Passover. You Gestapo Nazi communist fascists. Those are some words. <laughs> Ezra praises his incoherent and contradictory yelling, but cautions that it is never a good idea to assault an armed cop. Say, if you were illegally trespassing on someone else's private property and the police were right there and told you to get off, do you think they'd let you dilly-dally for a minute and 45 seconds before physically throwing you out? Not on your life. You'd be pounded or tasered or just plain punched. Luckily, Arthur has more self-control than the police do. And by the way, it's never a good idea to physically assault an armed cop. If only David Menzies took this advice before he was arrested in Montreal this past weekend after shoving a police officer. What is this? Are you guys kidding me? Ezra then complains that ISIS terrorists have been sent home on bail while cops with guns are now in churches. Say, what's an armed cop doing going into a church in the first place? Was there, I don't know, a report that the church was being used as, say, a clubhouse for a biker gang? Is Arthur Pavlovsky a known threat? I see just the other day a Calgary judge let a couple of accused ISIS terrorists out on bail, so that's fine. No armed cops needed to guard them, but a Christian church on Easter weekend better send in cops with guns, eh? These two things have no relation to one another, but I love how Ezra presumes these people are guilty when they have not had their day in court. It is almost as if Ezra holds a double standard between Muslims and Christians. Ezra ends the segment by suggesting that anyone who interrupts a church service is satanic. To bring an armed cop with a gun when you're trying to reduce conflict? What a bunch of wicked liars on Easter weekend. That's satanic. Ezra plays a clip of a full stadium at a Texas baseball game as he opines about wanting to return to pre-COVID times. Did you see this? A huge baseball game in Texas, just packed, tens of thousands of people choosing their own fear level, as I like to say. If you're afraid that the virus is going to jump out and get you, then don't go. Stay at home. Wear two masks or maybe three. Maybe hide in the basement in the dark. Whatever your fear level is and let everyone else go out to the ball game, America's national pastime. Sitting next to strangers, talking with people again, laughing, cheering, commiserating, catching up, being social creatures, having a community spirit, spending money, earning money, living life. He claims that the anti-mask crowds are primarily made up of working class people, adding even, even homeless people support them. But I think others are getting pretty sick of it. I mean, not everybody, but a big chunk of people, and not just people who look and sound like me. If you've noticed our coverage of the pandemic, the protesters against the lockdowns and our fight the fines clients, you'll notice they're often working class people or mom and pop shops, waiters, waitresses, unemployed people, even homeless people. 
natural health type people, you know, fitness people, free spirits, some of them, skeptics, some of them. He then discusses how the right wing can take advantage of this new voting base. It's a new coalition. Some of them could be called right wing, but many of them not. It's a new coalition, and I think you might even call it a new voter base. It is worth noting that most of the data suggests that the anti-mask, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine supporters tend to be small business owners or those who are more economically well-off and not people who have a lower socioeconomic status. However, it is beneficial for Ezra to characterize this movement as a working-class grassroots phenomenon, since those are the people the right is always trying to reach with their AstroTurf campaigns. Ezra plays a clip of YouTube's CEO talking about how they deal with COVID denial on their platform. Rather than dealing with the substance, Ezra immediately poisons the well by referring to the CEO as a valley girl and an up-talker before he even plays the clip. You know the World Economic Forum, right? It's those really creepy, creepy people who believe in the Great Reset, who tell us we should own nothing have no privacy, eat bugs, stuff like that, while they feast on seven-course meals. Seriously, it's a billionaire's club. By the way, their keynote speaker at this year's get-together was Xi Jinping, the dictator of China. Well, they had an online conference yesterday, and by random chance I stumbled upon it, and I recognized the president of YouTube. I know what she looks like, but I actually never heard her speak before. I realized it was really weird to hear a billionaire tech oligarch who sounded like a, like a stereotypical valley girl. She's an uptalker who also does vocal fry. You know, do you know what I mean by that? Ezra then brings up the COVID lab hypothesis, complaining that YouTube won't let him talk about it. It is also not unusual for that type of research to be occurring in Wuhan. The city is a widely known center for viral studies in China, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which has experimented extensively with bat coronaviruses. Now that's on CNN. I don't know if it's right or wrong. It rings true to me. But if you say those things on YouTube, you could lose your channel. Which I think is good, because as we have pointed out on this show for a year now, that theory is completely full of shit. There may still be issues surrounding YouTube having the power to exert this kind of control on their platform, but Ezra's main complaint is that they won't let him lie and spew hate on their platform. Police have fenced off Grace Life Church in Edmonton. Ezra interviews Sheila Gunn-Reed, who is on the scene. At one point, Ezra commands Sheila to engage and confront the police, which feels very unethical in terms of the employee-employer relationship involved between Sheila and Ezra. Usually right in front of me here where all the cops are, this is where... Uh, the church normally sets up their own yeah. um, perimeter to keep the journalists out. Yeah. But today now the police have set up a perimeter to keep all the uh, the congregants yeah. and supporters off the property. And how comfortable do you feel about walking forward till you're stopped? Sure, let's go. Let's see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Back up you're getting awful close, though. No, you're getting close, yeah, though. Who's the thug? What's his name? Ask him for his name and badge number. That's sorry. What's your name and badge number? Oh, Jesus, uh, thank you. What's the well, name, name and badge number? Well, I'm trying, but you're stopping me. Okay, but you can't go on the property now. Uh, okay. Name and well, badge can you, number. Can you come back and provide his name and if badge number to me? No, not if he wants you to. I asked for it. That's fine. What's this guy's name? A vehicle then drives by yelling at the crowd that even the Church of Satan wears masks, suggesting that the Church of Satan is more moral than this Christian church. Ezra and Sheila then use this as, ev as evidence that this is a satanic battle between good and evil, since Satanists are on the side of masks and lockdowns. Satanists are better than me. Satanists are better than you guys. Go to the Church of Satan, even they follow mask bylaw. They yeah. do. They do. They, oh, wow. They do. I didn't know that the Satanists were all in the mask. Oh, That's yeah. Cool. Good for Check them. it out, man. You creationists. Sorry about the swearing there, but that's the... Uh, I think he literally praised the Church of Satan. I'm not even kidding. I think he literally gave a shout-out to the Church of Satan. Is Did I hear that correctly, Sheila? Yes, he said that even the Church of Satan follows masking. And so he said, you creationists, 
which I don't think they are here, or at least I haven't heard it, and who cares if they are, but he said, you creationists are worse than the Church of Satan. Wow. Well, he was using them as a moral authority, wasn't he? He was saying yeah. even them. So yeah. gross. This, this really is, this is, is a battle of good and evil, isn't it? Like it? Like when I said satanic, I was saying that in the, not a particularly no. religious, like what's the, what's the opposite of a church? What's the opposite of people going to pray? I, I was using it more as an antonym, but that no. guy, no baloney, really referred to the satanic church or whatever. He really said that. I, I was saying it as a, you know, as a metaphor or a literal uh, style. He referred to the Church of Satan as his moral guideline on masks. Yeah, I mean, and you're exactly right when you say it is a battle of good and evil it is you know uh for these christians behind me it's the battle that they were promised right i'm sorry if i'm shaking it's quite cold um but i mean he drove by cackled at families of children standing in the cold in despair watching their church being locked down shouted his uh pleasure at seeing a church locked down which indeed is satanic and then used this church of satan as his moral authority when it comes to mask laws I mean, this is what we're dealing with here. Ezra admits that he never thought twice about police brutality, suggesting that he just instinctively supported the police in every instance. You know, uh, police brutality, to be honest with you, very, very candid here, it's not something I really paid attention to in my life. And I'll I'll be honest, I, I probably wouldn't have cared about it. And if I had heard about it, I would have in the back of my mind thought, well, there must be another side of the story Police don't really do that. But he now points out that the police are manhandling our own people. But over the past year, I've seen so many videos of police, I'm going to call it brutality, very heavy-handed approaches to people who do trivial things like not wearing a mask or whatever. And then I, I see the police physically manhandling our own people. I will just say, you shouldn't need police brutality to occur to people who share your skin color or political ideology for you to understand that police brutality is unjust. Ezra's guest, Spencer Fernando, claims... I think a lot of people on the right are maybe now understanding how indigenous people have felt, you know, by you know, heavy-handed government action, the government telling them how to live and what to do and kind of imposing on them. But I call bullshit. After all the times Ezra passively accepted people ramming their vehicles into indigenous protesters almost a year ago. But I think one day an ordinary citizen won't be so friendly, won't be so peaceful, won't be so good Samaritan-ish and might throw a punch or use a stick to hit or, God forbid, a gun or just drive over a road barrier and drive on someone. And I don't want that to happen, and I wouldn't support it if it happened, but I could understand it if it happened, because as part of a community, as part of a country, there's a social contract. We give the monopoly of violence to the government, to the police, and we expect them to protect us all. And if they sit in their police cars having a cup of coffee instead of enforcing the law, why not? If it's the rule of the uh, the jungle, if it's the law of the jungle, Why not? Ezra wants to know why the leftists are not speaking up. So perhaps I'm criticizing myself for not caring more in the past, Spencer. But I, I now say, well, where are all the liberals and the leftists who used to be, you know, hair trigger calling out police brutality? And I will openly state right here that I condemn police violence against anyone, including the anti-lockdown protesters some of which in Montreal were repeatedly punched and brutalized over this past weekend. So yes, fuck the police. But I will never support these anti-lockdown protesters or their disease-denying cause. Ezra returns to an old talking point that the liberal government is going to pass sweeping censorship laws that will get Rebel kicked off the internet. He focuses on Stephen Guilbeault, who recently talked about how politicians are receiving an increasing number of threats online and Ezra suggests this will be used to target them. But his main angle is not the existence of political threats and violence online, but that the liberals were mean to rebel news. Ezra shares one liberal politician comparing rebel news to Nazis. Why am I not surprised? Ezra Levant's rebel media boosts propaganda from neo-Nazi group. No, you wicked liar. Please don't call me a Nazi booster. I'm actually a Jew. However, Ezra still continues to 
platform anti-Semites like Chris Skye, and has a history of hiring anti-Semites like Gavin McInnes and Faith Goldie. Almost as if being a Jew hasn't prevented Ezra from allying with terrible people. And that is the week! Vienna. Yes. Have you ever heard of an individual named Lindsay Shepard? Vaguely. She was like a transphobic TA at like Guelph, I think. Wrong. Laurier. But uh, yes, transphobic TA. Those are the same places. (laughs) When I, so this happened as I started doing my PhD at Western, which is in London. But I did my undergraduate and my master's thesis at the University of Waterloo, which the campus is basically a 10, 15 minute walk from Laurier. So they're really close. But also there's some, I don't know, the collegiality or like friendship between the campuses. Like a lot of the professors go to similar conferences and whatnot. And so there's some camaraderie there. So... When this happened, I know a lot of people who knew some of the professors involved, and so I had some, I guess, insight into what occurred that maybe other people don't have. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, I necessarily have some sort of, like, factual evidence in the public record or anything like that, but I I can at least offer some hints of, of what was not covered by, I think, the media. For those who don't remember, what happened was Lindsay Shepard was a again, a TA in a communications class who was doing a tutorial on grammar. And the particular lesson this week was on neutral pronouns, like, uh, or gender neutral pronouns, like they, them. And what they ended up doing was showing a video of a Jordan Peterson appearance on, I think, TVO, arguing with a trans person about Bill C-16 which was a hot topic back when this was happening. What then happened, or how everyone came to know of this story, because if that just happened, no one would have cared, no one would have known, it would have just happened, and it would have been the end of the story. But from my understanding, what happened is, in that class, the students started debating whether or not trans people are real or not, whether trans women are women, stuff like this. Oh. And it made several of the students in the classroom very uncomfortable, especially considering that this was a communications class, probably not a class that was suited to have a debate of this kind, and probably crossing the line of unethical for a TA to to just do this, especially when it wasn't in the course material to be taught like this. She was then brought in to an interview, or not an interview, I guess like to talk with her professor, who she was TAing the course with, and he along with two other members of the faculty, had a discussion with her. She ended up recording this conversation without their consent, did not tell them she was recording it, and after the meeting was done, released this to the public and to the news that she had. It was like an hour-long interaction. I do agree. The one thing that I can agree with is that I think it would have been very intimidating for her or for any TA to be in a room with three professors who are grilling you on what you did in your class. I will also say that one of the professors sort of uh, hinted that she could be fired for something like this, and that would not have been the appropriate setting to bring something like that up. But beyond that, I I can't remember, it's been a while, but I don't think there was that much beyond that to really criticize what they did in that sort of section. I also don't think, because a lot of people say like they, they shouldn't have like meted, met with her at all. But I'm like, I met tons of times with my professor who I was TAing their class so that they could help me, give me advice. Or if they, it never came to it with me, but if they had heard complaints, they would probably say something to me. Now, Laurier came out when this happened by saying that they shouldn't have met that that basically criticized the professors and not Lindsay, because as they put it, the complaints didn't go through proper channels. But to me, that like doesn't really mean anything because like it's not like when the 
professors met with Lindsay, they were doing so in like a formal capacity, as in this is like a hearing as to whether or not you're going to get fired from your TA position. It was more of like, we had heard that these things happened in your class, and we need to talk about it. Yeah. Which seems very reasonable to me. (laughs) That just seems like a meeting with your professor. Like, it's not... It's not disciplinary, it's not action-oriented, it's just a meeting. I will say, it had a disciplinary tone, and that is the part where I disagree with how they handled this. I think that they were all possibly worried, like if I was from the professor's position, thinking that students were now spreading rumors about this class where people were openly discussing whether trans people even exist. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can, I can be wary, like, I can share their concern of going, oh, this is something that we should probably address. And they tried to approach it, I think, with a serious tone. It just sort of backfired in a way. But also they weren't expecting Lindsay to record it without their consent and then send it to the media. So that's, that's the background of what happened. And at the time we were dealing, you know, Jordan Peterson, of course, ran with this, showing how this was like the postmodern neo-Marxists who were spreading... Uh, (laughs) spreading postmodernism throughout the campus. And the issue with Bill C-16 was still up for debate at this point when this happened. And for those who don't know, Bill C-16 was just adding trans identity to a list of things that you can't discriminate against as an employee. And so he was worried that like this will compel him to use certain pronouns in a classroom. And the thing is, nothing in the law compels you to use a person's pronouns. In fact, if you don't want to use a pronoun, you can just speak to people by their name. There's like, there's nothing in it that like compels you. It's just like you can't repeatedly harass trans people. They also like fear-mongered about this, that this would somehow penalize and you will receive fines for misgendering on accident. But that's not what the law was. The law was repeated harassment. C-16 has passed, and I will say... No professor has yet <laughs> been arrested. And there's, they're not in the Canadian gulag system, as Jordan Peterson set this whole... It, like, the only reason we know about Jordan Peterson is because he fear-mongered about a fucking bill that he was wrong about. It. He was just objectively wrong about the nature of this law. And so far, nothing that he said has come to pass. But we all seem to ignore that. We all seem to just like, oh, that's completely normal. He lied about something. Com- he was completely wrong about it. It now passed against his pro- protestation, and we're still fine. <laughs> I don't know. I do kind of wish he'd been right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could probably said. I mean, he's he self gulagged himself to Russia, where he put himself into a coma. Yeah, and then Serbia too, and then I guess he's back now. Is he in Toronto again? Uh, yeah, I don't know where he is, but his new book is out, and he doesn't look as well as he used to. But why why, why are we talking about Lindsay Shepard? I guess I didn't set that up fully. The reason why we're talking about Lindsay Shepard is because she just came out with a new book, and that's why she's on Rebel News for an interview. Woohoo. You know what the book title is? No. Diversity and Exclusion. Oh, no. And, like, on the cover, it's got the word inclusion, but it's, like, crossed out, and, like, exclusion is written underneath it. I'm just looking up to see who published it, because I need to know who I'm mad at. So I watched a video where she basically says she could not get a publisher who would publish her, likely because she's a transphobic bigot Mm -hmm. who uh, has since uh, become a a traditional conservative and also a white nationalist to a certain degree. And for those who might argue... Has she really, Jody? That is an accusation. So I'll give you a bit of what happened since her fallout at Laurier, because she she continues to claim that she was left. She put out a video shortly after uh, an event that happened, which I'll tell you about in a second, where she put it out saying that she left the left, which is the same move that a Dave Rubin makes, kind of like to signal to to get that. Or or uh, Carolyn Borisenko is another one of these people who is like, I used to be on the left, but then the left was mean to me, so I left. And it's usually always surrounding the issues of transphobia, racism, or Islamophobia are usually the things that make these supposed leftists leave the left. So the reason why she left the left is she invited Faith Goldie to speak at Laurier University for her free speech club that she created after uh, the fallout. And let's be clear here, she invited Faith Goldie after Charlottesville. 
So this is after Faith Goldie went on a neo-Nazi podcast, made anti-Semitic jokes towards the co-host, uh, or the, her, her boss, and uh, got kicked off of Rebel, caused all the, those shenanigans, and uh, that's when Lindsay Shepard was like, you know what, that's the person I want to invite to go speak on my campus. <laughs> God. Also, I made the mistake of looking up the book on Amazon, and there are a very uncomfortable number of positive reviews. Also, apparently she got uh, interviewed by the Epoch Times, of all places, for this book. How prestigious of her. Do you know where she works currently? Does she work for Epoch Times? She works for True North. Oh. Which is uh, Candace Malcolm and uh, Andrew Lawton, both frequent guests on The Rebel. And uh, Andrew Lawton, you know, hometown hero. Mm-hmm. He ran for the conservative party in my writing. And uh, is homophobic and Islamophobic, so that's fun. He's many-phobics. Yeah. <laughs> Multiphobic. Another fun fact about Lindsay Shepard is she appeared on J.F. Gary Eppie's show. J.F. Gary Eppie is a Quebec white nationalist who had to flee to Canada over legal issues regarding his sexual abuse of a severely autistic person, from what I remember. Had to flee to Canada from where? From Quebec? From, uh, so he was, he was doing a postdoc at Duke University, I think, in the United States, and left all that behind. He claims he left Duke to come to Canada because, you know, academia was becoming too postmodern, and so there was no place for him anymore. He's also a huge race realist. He believes that there are biological races and that IQ is tied to race and that blacks have lower IQs, this kind of stuff. He's a, he's a fervent uh, white nationalist, uh, racist, bigot piece of shit who's also a sexual abuser. So uh, this is the type of person where Lindsay's like, I want to go on his show. She talked about whites becoming a minority. You know, in, in Metro Vancouver, um, what looks like is going to happen is whites are going to be a minority by 2031. Um, but there's still people who want to pretend this isn't happening or you're saying something wrong by saying it is happening. And to be honest, when it comes to being a white minority, Number-wise, like quantitatively, I'm not sure I'm so worried about that. But what I am worried about is how we're going to be treated as a minority. Because right now, you know, uh, for example, are whites going to get affirmative action programs? And are we going to be, like, hired if we ever become the minority in, for example, the academic setting? You know, are they going to actively try to recruit um, more white professors? And, you know, right now it's okay to have a certain amount of contempt for white people because of the sins of our fathers and all that you know like the sarah jiang tweets and all that so right now it's okay to show a little bit of contempt for whites um but when we are the minority is that going to be okay and right now you'll see tons of headlines um about things that are too white or they lack diversity which just means too white um the vancouver city council this this past year in october 2018 I think it was either 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 um, counselors elected were white. And so you saw all these headlines that said white out or like um, Vancouver City Council is too white. You know, like, is that still going to happen? Or like, would we ever say that a Vancouver City Council is too brown or too Asian? I don't think so. I can't really see that happening. Absolutely. I'm also worried about this. Uh, as far as I can tell, the path of white rights as they become minorities is down to genocide potentially in certain places of the world where small minorities of white people have been surviving they've been faced with genocide either south africa haiti uh, a lot of places they were uh, eventually replaced down to non-existence uh and engaged in the the typical uh white genocide conspiracy theory bullshit prominent leftist obviously she went uh she went to do work for the justice center of constitutional freedom again they're the the same place that's representing the pastor in edmonton they're uh john carpe frequent guest on rebel news <laughs> she does work for them apparently i already mentioned she uh claims to have adopted the traditional lifestyle she claims she's a stay-at-home mom even though she works for true north although i guess she can do true north stuff uh at home she says she's not religious, she's just pro-family. There is a right-wing internet subculture that I take an interest in. 
that you could call the trad life or trad subculture. And it's a small subculture, a fledgling one, where people who believe in traditional gender roles and traditional lifestyles congregate. So these people are generally Christian. They believe in having large families, homeschooling. They will often have a garden or aspire to have a garden. And the woman's role is to manage the household and she does not work outside the home and the man is the provider. This is like the ideal, basically every box checked version of someone who lives the trad life or desires to live the trad life. Trad individuals reject many facets of modernity. They reject the public school system that teaches gender ideology and such. They reject the consumer mindset and really their worldview is formed around the family unit. Now, the reason this subculture interests me is because I share their concerns about how there seems to be less emphasis on the importance of family and how being a stay-at-home mom has acquired a negative connotation. When I am out and about and I tell people that my primary occupation is being a stay-at-home mom, I have found that a lot of people just don't know how to respond to that. But on the other hand, Christians generally have a very positive reaction to that when I tell them I'm a stay-at-home mom. So while I share some concerns with trad individuals, so to speak, I also diverge in many areas. The main one is I am not religious. I am an atheist, but I am also pro-family. Yes, the family, a known trans-historical, you know, concept, the nuclear family, definitely not invented in the past like 75 years. <laughs> Tradition, you know? No, you, what? We didn't have a nuclear family back like 10,000 years ago? Yeah, when humanity and <laughs> when humanity evolved, we split into parents and their children, and they would split off from all of the other groups and sleep in different grasslands under different trees. We evolved with the picket fences, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, the picket fences are tied to our genes. Coevolution. Yeah. <laughs> It started off as just like white trees that kind of grew in a line and slowly <laughs> as we tended to them became the white picket fence. I watched a video of her recently because you were talking about publishers where she explained how back around 2017, 2018, when the Laurier incident was still fresh, an agent approached her and they tried to pitch doing a book on the Laurier incident to a bunch of mainstream publishers and they all rejected her apparently so she decided to go out on her own convinced by Mal uh, candace malcolm who is the employer at uh true north she then decided that she was going to write a book about free speech issues in uh canada so from the canadian perspective and she compared the idea for her book to works of uh by douglas murray also a, a rampant a transphobe but uh very, like, he's more bigger, I guess, for his Islamophobia. And then there's also James Lindsay is the other person that she compares. James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, who they wrote a book called Cynical Theories, which is all about how postmodernism has taken over the academy. James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, I think, have recently sort of, like, drifted apart because James Lindsay has really drunk the uh, MAGA, uh, <laughs> the MAGA potion. I don't know. <laughs> Or taking the mega drug, and uh, has even said some things that were pretty uh, anti-Semitic recently. So, you know, she's in good company. Um, I told Candace I'm going to write a non-fiction book about free speech, open inquiry, and political correctness in Canada. So, my thinking was we have Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray, The Diversity Delusion by Heather Macdonald, Cynical Theories by James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose. But out of these books that analyze free speech and academia and other related topics, none of them focus on Canada. So that's where I saw my niche is I'm going to focus on Canada. Yeah, so now she's on this kick that postmodernism is infiltrating the academy. But she said as she was writing that book, she realized she had to start she had to start with the Laurier issue, but then of course what happened was the Laurier issue became a book all on its own. So and she claims of course that like there was no actual complaints against her and all this. I will say because a lot of people doubt when I bring up to them that there were complaints that they debated the existence of trans people in her classroom. But it came out days after her classroom in newsletters on the campus of Laurier that people went to the Rainbow Center on campus. And many people complained 
complained about what happened in that classroom. They were all anonymous, obviously, and none of them went through official channels. And frankly, I don't think they have to go through official channels for it to be legit. I think people had real concerns about what were going on there. But she likes to pitch this idea that she she's just a reasonable person who just wants to share ideas. But it's clear that what she's doing is she's not just sharing ideas. She's laundered her image and her position to all these people that are affiliated with anti-Semitism, white nationalism, and traditional conservatism transphobia and Islamophobia and all that other bullshit. So she could try to pretend this game like she's not a radical and was just like put in this like mean position by people on campus. But it's clear, even if she wasn't before, is clearly in the embrace of the far right. And she can go fuck herself at this point, you know? So now on to the interview. It begins with them mentioning what's happening with the whole Laurier incident. Oddly enough, I will frame right now, they almost don't talk about a single thing in her fucking book. <laughs> Which usually if you have an interview, like you might want to say some stuff about that. But apparently, you know, nothing really about the book stuff. They do they do talk about apparently so there's these lawsuits. So one thing I haven't mentioned yet is she eventually sued Laurier for one of her claims is that she can't get a job in academia anymore because she's been completely like damaged in the media's eyes or whatever but the other thing is she tied herself to a uh, a lawsuit so her lawsuit is tied with jordan peterson who's also suing laurier and the reason why jordan peterson is suing laurier is in the session that she recorded one of the professors loosely compares jordan peterson to hitler <laughs> oh Jordan Peterson is suing the university for defamation. How how are you going to sue somebody for saying something in what they presume is a private conversation? If that's defamation, then oh boy, are we screwed. Our, our Lindsay also admits that the reason why this lawsuit is taking so long is because since her lawsuit is tied to Jordan Peterson's, and since Jordan Peterson was in a self-imposed coma... <laughs> She had to wait for him. So. Well, it's our pleasure. I'm so glad you wrote this book. I didn't know if you were able to tell the full story because I'm aware, and I'm delighted about this, that you are actually suing Wilfred Laurier for blacklisting you, for deplatforming you, for smearing you in a trumped-up sham investigation. So is that lawsuit still going on? Yeah, so that lawsuit was launched in 2018. And... Um, there's also a lawsuit in conjunction with Jordan Peterson. So he is suing for defamation because the professors that you were referring to uh, that were in the disciplinary meeting with me, uh, telling me I created a toxic environment and all that, they said Peterson was a charlatan and they compared him to Hitler. So he's suing for defamation um, concurrently. And so the lawsuit can't progress until Jordan Peterson is feeling a bit better um, your viewers may know he hasn't been of the greatest health lately. And then Ezra sympathized with her and it's like, You were put through a sham process, a fake a show trial, like a struggle session that they would have in Maoist China. Nah, because that would have ended a lot better. I just like, I love like what it was, was it would be like your boss sat you down to have a chat. That's not a trial. That's... <laughs> are they talking about they have to make this to like such an extreme like these are the same people that argue that unions are bad because you can't fire teachers and here is like the the pristine example of a teacher a teacher's assistant who were not doing their job appropriately now i don't think she should have been fired but they're going to the level that she shouldn't even had some sort of like reprimand or some sort of like meeting with their boss to get straight about what their job entailed and then somehow comparing that to like an authoritarian system she was dragged out into the streets made to confess her crimes to the people as a whole made to like you know read out everything bad that she had done that was anti-marxist and anti-materialist <laughs> and then she was executed for being a class traitor so when she's giving this interview, she's actually a ghost. Then uh, Ezra goes, you were a liberal before this, right? And if I recall, I think you were a little hesitant even to talk to Rebel News because if I'm not mistaken, you probably would have described yourself as a liberal or at least regular. 
And the only reason I bring this up is, for one, she identified as a leftist, whatever. But it's like, you can tell this is the selling point. It's like you have to announce that she was a, a turncoat, right? Because that gives her some sort of like street cred. It's like, yeah, I left the left. And I know, now I know why you should leave the left. Because I was there. I was on the inside. And now I've left, right? When it's like, I don't, I don't know that she was a leftist, to be honest. In fact, everything tells, everything that she's done so far indicates to me that she uh, was deeply naive. And likely uh, a complete bigot and just didn't know it. Or just wasn't as public about it. And she explains now that the reason why she can't get a job in academia. And the world of Canadian academia, the arts, it's really quite small. And even if you do have um, some professors advocating for you, which I did, there were some you know, pro-free speech professors across the country who were openly um, supporting me. Still, to, to get hired in an academia today, you have to sit through these, you know, you have like a panel of people interviewing you. And their main concern right now is, is do you um, abide by the tenets of diversity and inclusion? And what I did, which is um, say that Jordan Peterson's view on compelled speech and pronouns was a valid viewpoint, um, I'm seen as antithetical to their mandate of diversity and inclusion. But I have to say, if she didn't release that tape, it probably wouldn't have affected her. The self-victimization. She could have just kept that, like, no one would have known she had this, like, discussion with her boss. So long as she never used him as a reference, she probably would have had other teachers she TA'd for that she could have gone to for references. If she didn't record that, inter like, that uh, discussion and release it to the internet, no one would have known. Yeah, and also, like, one of the major things about like getting a job in academia is like having good relationships with your you know professors or like those the people that you worked with like it's a very interpersonal job so if you go out of your way to be an absolute like dick to them and then also publish a private conversation to the media like no wonder you're not gonna get good references or like a referral <laughs> Well, I mean, because that's, that's like the collegiality point that has nothing to do with the context of what the discussion was about. But the fact that you recorded them without consent and then leaked that to the press, like that would tell me like, maybe I don't want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Even then, I think those professors could have gotten on her side. All they were trying to suggest to her was if you're going to cover the subject matter, you don't cover it neutrally, which a lot of people took that to be the wrong approach. But think about it this way. The reason why you don't have these kinds of discussions neutrally in a classroom is because if you're arguing about whether or not someone's identity is valid and, and one of those people who, who share that identity is in that classroom, how do you think that they're going to feel? They're going to feel isolated, alienated, attacked, you know, that, that they have to prove themselves in some sort of capacity. It puts them in a position that's not okay. And our job as educators, or at least my job at, was as an educator, so I can relate to that, is to encourage everyone to participate in that classroom and to not hold a debate that's going to alienate other people in that classroom. Yeah, like, and the thing is, too, like, it is kind of like that realization as somebody who, like, has a marginalized identity, identity when, like, discussions like that occur that are not, like... It's one of those, you know, impossible to be neutral on a moving train or whatever. Um, like, you know, you suddenly just, like, have that realization where it's just like, oh, okay, you don't think of me as a, like, human. You don't think of me as a person. You don't, like... And it's just kind of, like, it alters your perception of the entire class for the rest of the time that you are, like, with those people in that environment for as long as it's going on. It's not just like, you know, oh, we had one uncomfortable class. It's like, oh, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. Now I know something about my peers. Yeah, like, now, like, I am forever uncomfortable with these people. The thing, too, is a lot of the people on the right like to frame this as in university is a place where you're supposed to be debating these challenging ideas and all this fun stuff. And I taught a lot of classes I TA'd a lot of classes, I should say, that dealt with a lot of heavy material. But 
one thing that we learn sp specifically in there is how to bring the class with you such that everyone is comfortable with where this is heading. And you don't, you can engage this subject matter in a way that doesn't have the class openly debating about someone's existence. But also, that was probably a class that talked about those sorts of things. It wasn't a fucking communications class either. And that's another whole, like, level of, like, inappropriateness is, like, why are you having this conversation here when you are not qualified to be having this conversation, let alone, like, leading a tutorial on it? And the thing is, like, even on the case, like, in the situation of pronouns and, like, how to navigate, you know, because there's neo-pronouns and stuff like that, too, where it's, like, it is separate entirely from he, they, she, and, like, the, you know, more traditional pronouns in the English language. And, like, having a conversation about that and, like, you know, and the concept of misgendering and, like, all of those sorts of things, especially, like, you know, when you are first meeting someone and that kind of thing. Like, that, a very good and nuanced discussion could happen around those topics in an environment that is, like, actually about those topics. In an environment that is kind of, like, built to be accepting and inclusive and stuff like that. Like, where it is, like, you know, it's not up for question whether or not these pronouns are, like, quote-unquote valid or whatever. It's more of a, like, you know, how how does the education behind these sorts of things work? How does, like, how do the formations of neo-pronouns themselves, like, develop? Those sorts of things. Like, those conversations can be had and are being had, but not in TA's, like, communication classrooms. You're not going to get a good and nuanced discussion out of that. Then Ezra, very oddly in this interview, decides to quote Peter Thiel. You know, you made me think of um, Peter Thiel, the great uh, tech entrepreneur, um, libertarian thinker. He is famous for a job interview question that he would put to people. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but uh, I've got it on my screen here. It's, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Or another way of saying that is, what is a heretical view that you have? And if you don't know, Peter Thiel, he's one of those big uh, internet entrepreneur libertarian people. Palantir now. He's like the security systems guy, right? Techno-fascist is yeah. the best phrasing for him. I was going to say, he's mostly known to be like, he supported a lot of like the neo-reactionaries, uh, the people who want to like bring back the monarchy and live in like little secluded uh, feudal states is the kind of people that love Peter Thiel. And tons of fun that Ezra quotes him as if like, he's a great guy, this Peter Thiel dude. And Ezra asks uh, Lindsay, what heretical position do you have? So there's one part in my book where... I talk about who I was before the Laurier controversy. And I say that, um, let's say I had been approached on the street and I'm um, kind of like what the rebel does sometimes, like streeters approaching random people. And if you would ask me, are trans women women? I probably just would have said, yeah, sure, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, I, and now after having learned about those issues, I would say um, no. And then her response, her follow-up to this is that she thinks that might actually be more popular. And I'm not sure how many, what, if that's an unpopular opinion or a popular opinion. Uh, but I think a lot of people are just too scared of, of being perceived as mean. That's probably where my previous view is coming from. And Ezra says... And that's a nice place to come from, to be nice to everybody, uh, not to be mean to everybody. But... But often, you know, that may be the intention, but the outcome, in, in the case of trans women, for example, okay, I, have you just dis destroyed all girls' sports? I hate this. This sucks. Yeah, it's just open bigotry. I mean, for one, Ezra doesn't give a shit about women's sports. Uh, this is just a cudgel for him because he can hate on trans people is pretty much all it is. And we've already discussed the, the trans women in sports stuff. I mean, they Ezra brings it up on his show constantly. There's no evidence that trans women are somehow taking over uh, women's sports. There's just none. There's no evidence really that they have a competitive advantage either. But of course, it's the thing that cons uh, conservatives want to fearmonger about. It's more the like, this might actually be a more popular opinion, but a lot of people are afraid to say it. Where it's like, have you been out in the world as a trans person? Or like, 
seen any media that covers trans people like it's not it's not good no people don't people are not kind that part is not true and why can't you be kind like on the flip side of this i think you're right but on the other end of it it's like what's wrong with being kind what (laughs) he he makes it sound like if somehow you're too kind it's gonna like let some like evil nefarious thing like slip in but like I mean, it would be one thing, it's like, okay, don't be kind to Nazis, because, you know, Nazis will eventually uh, take over and do some bad shit. But, like, a few trans women playing in women's sports is not the end of humanity that they kind of are, like, framing here, right? It's like, what are, what are really the costs being laid out here? Nothing. Nothing. It's the lowest stakes of the lowest stakes. Yeah. Then Lindsay just says flat out we need to close all diversity and inclusion offices on campus. In my book, um, I say straight up that we need to close all diversity and inclusion offices at universities. And that's going to be what I see as the most important step to making universities bastions of free thought again. They apparently enforce ideological conformity and they need to all be shut down which is uh, ironic coming from people who are against cancel culture because apparently Lindsay wants to cancel all the uh, diversity and inclusion offices that exist. Free speech. Ezra then says BIPOC is super insider language in the academia. (laughs) Or STEM because, you know, there's this whole women in STEM, um, BIPOC STEM kind of stuff. So you're using lingo, STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, I think, and and BIPOC, that's... uh, what does that stand for? Black, indigenous, people of color. It's this whole language and vocabulary uh, that if that I think most I don't think most people know what BIPOC means on on the street. But there's this whole language and like an insider speak. It has been interesting seeing the kind of like adoption of that word in the United States, where it's I think not as useful because like it started with it. It did start within Canadian semi-academic contexts where it's like. You know, it's a description of, like, relations to the colonial state in Canada. And similarly, um, in the UK, they have the acronym uh, BAME, which I'm pretty sure stands for uh, Black, Asian, Middle Eastern, which is, again, like, you know, it's a term that is meant to describe, like, relations to the state and, like, commonly, like, criminalized and targeted populations. So it has been on that sense kind of like interesting seeing that move from more specific context to a more general one where it kind of then I think loses its usefulness because the history and relations between black and indigenous people are a lot I think more fraught in the United States I wouldn't describe them as like wonderful here but it's still like seeing it move south of the border and then instantly kind of like you lose almost all of its utility that's always like a fact of just like language leaving the academy like even the use of whiteness as a general term or structural racism stuff like this or uh what's the other big one that people like to complain about toxic masculinity or intersectionality and sometimes when these get adopted by the wider community they get used in ways that weren't the initial intended purpose but part of me is like this is just like how language gets adopted and used and like changes over time and i don't think there's necessarily anything problematic with that it's just a a fact of language and you you gotta go with the flow and watch as these things develop in in certain communities and and all that fun stuff and it doesn't mean that there isn't like conversations to be had about their like as you said it's use of it's usefulness in certain contexts or whatnot it's just interesting to see how these things get adopted and passed on and change and evolve and at the end of the day it's like who who cares because they make it sound like this stuff just like emanates from like the academy like ezra goes on to complain about latinx i mean i know this word i don't even know how to say it latin x I, I, some people say latinx i think it's latin x it's a way of saying latino and latina and I, I've seen polls showing that like 90% of, 90% of Latinos hate that phrase. It's basically used by white liberal academics to create some new class of diversity. It's just an industry unto itself. And I don't know, to be honest, I I've, have very little uh, insight into that debate over that term. Part of me is like, if, if this word is like not great and not being adopted by the community, 
then it's not great and it's not going to be adopted by the community. Like, I, like, I don't know why that's something we need to, co- or people need to complain about all the time or, or, or like why conservatives complain about how these things come from the academy. I don't even know that Latinx comes from the academy. I'll just say that straight up. But that's like what, what they make it out to, to sound like, you know? Because everything must be imposed in their worldview. It's not possible for communities to adopt things of their own accord. It has to be an imposition from above talk to the people from that community and just get a sense of it and then identify them how they want to be identified. It's not like that big of an issue, you know, or at least I don't think it's as complicated as they make it out to be. It's like, I don't think most people will get that upset once like, if you screw up, you have a conversation, you learn, you move on and you have a good day, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's probably the best way to handle pretty much any issue regarding like language and identity is just kind of like, listen be respectful, and move about your day. Like, <laughs> no, you make me say word I don't like. Say word bad. <laughs> ah! <laughs> like I don't like. I feel like that's what goes on in their brains all the fucking time. It's just like I don't want to say word, and it's like just say word. Why? <laughs> I don't understand why. They end like they literally end. Lindsay tells this story. There were posters around campus that said. Black Lives Matter, Indigenous Lives Matter, Migrant Lives Matter, all of these lives matter, right? And there was one poster where someone had penned White life, white Lives Matter, um, in addition to all the other lives, because White Lives Matter, were, they were not on the original poster. And um, a student ripped that poster down and took it to the diversity office and said it was racism. Hmm. Well, and I'm sure they thought it was. Uh, Listen, it's uh, great that you've got this book out. Nothing in Black Lives Matter, I mean, this is the obvious thing, implies that it's okay to be, like, abusive to people generally, right? It's not saying that other people's lives don't matter. Like, that, it's it's such the, like, the obvious go-to. And yet it's clear that, like, all people like Lindsay and Ezra seem to care about is that, like, you need to center white people in the conversation always it's always what they want to go back to because they are pretty racist if you weren't racist you shouldn't care if people are walking around saying black lives matter you should be like i support you instead it's like what about us and frankly i don't care about Lindsay. she can uh she can go to hell and i hope i never have to hear about her ever again (laughs) (laughs) me too In good news this week, uh, the Palestine Resolution passed at the NDP convention. That seems to be pretty much the only positive thing that happened at the convention, but it did pass. Woohoo. $20 minimum wage. That was not too bad. It's something, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Listen, we take what we could get, all right? (laughs) We are abolishing wage labor. We are doing nothing. No, like, I show you, I'm just saying, like, it's nice because I think initially it was $15 and then they amended it, uh, there was an amendment to raise it to 20 which is, like, at least even the activists on the ground realized that, like, we should stop talking about $15 now, it, that it needs to, to move forward. So I think that's a good, uh, it shows people are moving, trending towards uh, the right position. Especially considering Alberta already has 15 and we have 14 here. Yeah, and I there was a lot of uh, things to complain about just in terms of uh, representation. Yeah, a lot of people from the uh, disabled community were complaining about some of the accessibility issues at the convention and also some of their issues not coming to the for- coming to the front. And I think that should should be worth highlighting that we should take those uh, concerns uh, seriously going forward. Well, not me. Like, frankly, I would have made it as accessible as possible if I had the reins, but I'm not in charge. So (laughs) this is more directed to the uh, uh, party infrastructure and how they handled this shit. The other thing was uh, in in relation to the Palestine thing, even after convention, uh, Jagmeet Singh is still not signaling the right things in the national media. So this is something that's even though the party overwhelmingly voted in favor uh, of supporting this, I think it was 80% in favor of the Palestinian resolution. 
uh, 15% against and then 5% abstained. So uh, great, that's great. But it, it's something that, of course, Jugmeat is going to do what Jugmeat does, and it's something that we're going to have to continue to hold his feet to the fire, sadly. But uh, at least we know where the, the grassroots of the party stand. Because here's the thing, is before this, they wouldn't even let it come to a vote, or they pulled shenanigans to try to, like, manipulate the vote in various ways. Well, they tried to this time, too. Yeah, so to, to fill you in on this, the, the first motion, at least the Palestinian motion got up to second place. The first motion was for... Uh, solidarity with the uh, Indian farm workers who are on strike. And uh, they had that debate for 35 minutes. And I think each session has 40 minutes, which basically left the, yeah. <laughs> the Palestinians. No, it was session. four minutes yeah. to uh, talk about the Palestine resolution when like, you know, the Indian farmer situation is like very important, but also like it wasn't, it's not like we were supplying material aid or something. It was kind of just like, a solidarity motion so it's kind of easy to be like yeah hell yeah we support them and then move on and instead they did 35 minutes of like trying to add amendments and stuff like that well anyone who knows convention politics and stuff like this like they, these are strategies to filibuster and stuff like this and uh they're organized by people who have various interests obviously uh and like i don't a lot of people complain about that and the democracy and all this but i'm like this this could happen in some respects to all sides. The only issue is that the people who usually uh, are who are the chairs and stuff like this are people who who are less inclined <laughs> towards the Palestinian issue. So it's been harder to at least get like favorable rulings in certain directions. That being said, this this is we finally got a vote on it. <laughs> And the vote was overwhelmingly in support of it, even though we only had four minutes of debate. So it at least signals that the, the grassroots are on one side. The majority of the party is on one side of this issue. Yeah, it was something good. Also, if anybody listening has some spare funds, we're going to put the uh, link to the Believer's Bailout, which is a uh, campaign to raise money to bail out Muslims in pretrial and ICE uh, detention centers in the United States. It's specifically, I believe, like in the Chicago area, uh, but their goals are to raise $75,000 in order to uh, free 30 Muslims from pretrial incarceration and immigration detention in 2021. And um, that money will also go to expand their uh, bailout and post-bond support work throughout the United States. Uh, so if you have some spare funds, especially given that it is Ramadan, uh, that would be a great place to send your money. And happy Ramadan, Vienna. Now I think it's uh, it's slightly past eight. So once I'm done with this outro, you get to eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I noticed the second it hit 8.06, I was like, oh, come on. We got to wrap this up. I'm... I guess on that note, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of the Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And Lindsay Shepard, you canceled again and hopefully forever. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.